0: I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our passage this morning is going to be verses 7 through 18, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. You know, before we start, I've got to tell you something, I start sabbatical tomorrow and Kelly challenged me today to say, how long can you preach? I said, I think i can go three hours. (laughs) So... (laughs) let me go over this passage but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair four verses of chapter four, six verses of chapter four, we saw Paul spoke of the light of the gospel. Now in chapter three, we found out that we're all ministers of the gospel. So we find out in chapter three, we're all ministers of the gospel. And in chapter four, the beginning of chapter four, we find out that it is a gospel of light. And now here in today's passage, Paul has a message He's got a message for all who are called to be ministers in light of the gospel. Now, you would think that this is going to be some amazing message, that Paul's got something really profound he wants to tell us, and, and personally, I'd like to hear something uh, from Paul about how great I am. So it surprised me when I looked down and I saw what Paul's message is. His message is, we are weak. We're weak. Well, there's an opener for you. But when it comes to the task of being bearers of the gospel, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, uh, we're called, all of us, to be weak. Now, last week I told you, I gave you a little bit of uh, the nuts and bolts of how a sermon looks. I told you that uh, every sermon has a proposition. Some people might call this a premise. Others might call it a theme But there's a central truth that every sermon is wrapped around, every sermon uh, focuses on. And that truth is then developed by uh, a number of points, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes five. It's developed and expanded. And so today's proposition is Paul's message That we are weak and he's going to develop this premise this proposition by giving us three points and I call them three views three ways to look at our weakness and here they are we should see in this passage the reality of our weakness in verses 7 through 9 our reaction we will see Paul's reaction but by virtue of Paul it'll be our reaction to our weakness in verses 10 through 12 and the reward yeah there's there's a reward For our weakness it'll be a little challenge for some folks and that'll be found in verses 13 through 18 so what Paul wants to show us in these three views of our weakness is that recognizing the truth recognizing the reality of our weakness can be our our greatest strength and we can also find out that it sets us free now I want you to look at the progression we're going through. We started out with Jonah, remember? This is all tied to Jonah, who was angry. Jonah was angry all the time. And so by the end of the book, Jonah is still angry just as he was in the beginning of the book and his anger prevents him from, from enjoying, from uh, participating in the blessings of the Lord. Jonah is actually imprisoned, he is enslaved by his anger. Now we come to Paul, who in 2 Corinthians, the the overall message of 2 Corinthians is Paul saying, I am content. Uh, Paul, who had a much harder life than Jonah did, who really went through a lot more suffering than Jonah does, uh, says, I'm content. And Paul's message is that we're set free. We're set free in being content in what the Lord gives us. So, uh, watch what happens here. I, I, I love the progression. So, we're going to see this, uh, this progression in, in Paul's analysis of his weakness here. This is part seven of our series, I Am Content. The title of today's sermon is called Treasure. Treasure. So let's take a look at our first view of the, the, the reality of our weakness. And this is detailed starting in verse seven. Right after Paul has described this light of the gospel in verse six, he says this But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So, so what is this treasure that Paul's talking about? It's a treasure that was laid out in verse 6, same chapter. And the treasure is this it is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ now if we understand what Paul's saying here we understand this is the gospel the gospel is the knowledge of the glory of God most fully manifested in the face the visage the presence of Jesus Christ now Paul can get a little little esoteric here on us from time to time that means that he's not always real easy to understand but suffice it to say that here's what Paul's trying to express God has revealed Himself in His only Son, Jesus Christ, and revealed His plan of redemption at the cross during the crucifixion and subsequently to the resurrection. The whole story of the Gospel, all of the truth of the Gospel rests on Jesus Christ and His work on the cross alone. That's what Paul wants us to know here. So, Paul says, that that truth, that work of the cross, the resurrection, is a treasure. It's a treasure that's been given to Him. And by virtue of Him having a common faith with all believers, it also has been given to all those who call on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's given. That treasure is given to all those who have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We all have the same treasure. Now that's fantastic I like that I, I like having a treasure everybody like having a treasure amen okay most of you like having a treasure some of you obviously don't that's all right okay but Paul says that like Paul all believers are, are in what Paul calls jars of clay jars of clay now I, I get a vision when I hear jar of clay uh, but what does it really mean? Okay, I, 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 get, I get an idea in my head, but what does it really mean? Let, let me give you some background here, because it'll help us understand what Paul's saying. The city of Corinth had a reputation for making these magnificent jars out of bronze. Now, at the time, it was one of the hardest metals available, okay? They, they, were, they were ornate. They were large, uh, the most expensive ones were the big ones you would see uh, uh, in, in a museum, that sort of thing. Uh, they were incredibly expensive. Um, they were beautiful and not everyone could afford them. Only the well-to-do had them. Only the rich people had them. They, they were on display. Uh, generally, you'd walk into their house, there'd be one right there in the foyer. They had a house big enough to have a foyer. Uh, so there weren 't many of them around and and they just weren 't accessible to everyone but there 's something that was accessible to everyone and every house in Corinth had at least one clay jar now these these were not, they were common they were everywhere I, I mean there was no running water, so if you wanted water, you had to go to the well, you had to go to the cistern, there might be a trough somewhere, and you put put water in your clay jar and bring it home so everybody had a clay jar they were common and they were frail they were not so beautiful they were not distinguished they were cheaply made everybody had them no one put one on their mantle no one called their friend to say hey i got a new clay jar and, and you know, the friends would say well I, I, i've got one right over here in my kitchen what's the big deal okay nobody had them in their foyer most of the people in town didn't even have a foyer so just following paul's reasoning you would think that this invaluable treasure that he's talking about would be stored in an invaluable container it would look like a container that was worthy of having a treasure in it a container like a jar of bronze but paul who's been given this treasure portrays himself as a jar of clay he depicts himself as having nothing to distinguish himself he's not valuable to anyone at least not he's not as valuable as the the treasure that he has is valuable so when paul compares himself to his treasure he has no value at all now that's paul's point here as believers we all have a common faith we have a treasure, but the treasure is what's valuable. And we have to understand this. It is a treasure it's what, that's what's valuable. It's not us. Catch that? It's a treasure that's valuable. It's not those who bear it. The focus of our lives, the focus of our message, should always be on the truth of the gospel, not on the person who shares it. Now, Paul's not saying that we're worthless as believers, we have a treasure, but we're not worthless. He's telling us that anytime the focus is placed on a man or a woman, whether they be a preacher or a teacher, an evangelist, or someone sharing the gospel in a classroom or their workplace or across a fence in the backyard, anytime the focus is placed on that person, we're missing the beauty and the unsurpassed value of the message that we've been given. Now, we've all seen what this looks like before, okay? Someone is known for being an evangelist. Or somebody's known for being a certain type of preacher. Someone, maybe somebody's actually put claim. They've got a healing ministry. They've got a ministry of prosperity. Or maybe they claim to be a prophet. Or maybe, maybe it's one of the new breed of teachers Uh, preachers that is famous for being famous. I mean, you know that's a new category of fame, famous for being famous. All you got to do is go on Instagram uh, or Facebook, and you see there are people there that are famous just because they're famous. There's some kind of reality star or something like that. They got on TV. They've got a name. Everybody follows them. What are they wearing? What are they doing? Who are they dating? Who do they just break up with and everything? And they have no talent. And all you got to do is follow them for about 10 minutes, if you can take it, on, on, on Twitter. And go, well, what is this person doing? Well, they don't do anything. They're famous. Why are they famous? Uh, because everybody knows who they are. They're famous for being famous. So we have a breed of preachers that are famous for being famous. And and they, they, they've risen up. They, people like them because of maybe their charisma, uh, because of some persona they've created. created And... and uh, they've got a message that tickles people's ears. And i got to tell you something, people have a tendency to flock towards that type of individual, the ones who are famous for being famous, the ones who actually have a promise for you. If you come here, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get healed. You're going to get rich. There's going to be a prophetic word for you. Somebody's going to say this word over you, and then you'll know what to do. You'll know what God's Promises for you. You'll know what God's future is for you. So they're famous because they're feeding people. And people flock to them. People crowd those places out. They bring their friends. They send their neighbors. They buy their books for them as if the, the, this individual is the only way that someone is going to get saved or somebody's going to get rich or that somebody's going to get healed or whatever they're promising. Paul says that person is a jar of clay. And any real value he or she has is in what they share and if the emphasis is placed on anything other than the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ then the emphasis is being placed on a fragile cheap jar made out of mud. That doesn't make sense to me. Why why would God do it that way? Why wouldn't God use the most famous, most beautiful people to be conveyors of His truth? Why wouldn't God use the bronze jar instead of the clay jar? I mean, isn't the bronze jar going to be more attractive? Well, the answer to that question is in the rest of verse 7. It says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul's intent is to bring glory to God, not himself. And he passes that charge on to us. We're called to point towards Jesus Christ, not ourselves. Why? Well, because we're frail. Because we are human. Because we're weak. We're prone to stumble. And when we do stumble, not if we do stumble, we're going to stumble at some point. When we do stumble, if we've called more attention to ourselves than to our message, well, then we lose credibility. But you know what? Our message loses credibility as well. We defame the gospel. We are frail. Now again that's kind of a it's kind of a rough opening for a Sunday morning sermon isn't it Put it out on the banner on the on the sermon Come on in we're frail we're weak we're made out of mud <laughs> And Paul Paul doesn't just leave it there you know, true to fashion and and true true to the way Paul ministers, he's going to go a little bit deeper because he describes his frailty in verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way. Now, this is the royal we. Paul's talking about himself. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, Paul's very careful again in how he uses his words here. And actually, this is Paul's list of qualifications that he believes uh, that entitle him to be a minister of the gospel. That's quite a list of qualifications, all right. I'm, I'm perplexed, uh, I'm afflicted, uh, I, I feel forsaken and persecuted, and I'm, I'm wounded. He, he, he says he's afflicted. Now, that means he's distressed. He's distressed, but he's not crushed. That means he is not hopeless. He has hope. He's perplexed. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to act. He doesn't know what to say. But he's not driven to despair. That means he's not fraying at the edges. He's he's not ready to give up. He's not ready to throw in the towel. He's not falling apart. He's not unnerved by his situation and his circumstances. He is persecuted, but he's not abandoned. People are against him, but he doesn't feel alone. Paul is struck down. He's been wounded. He's been damaged. He's lying in the gutter bleeding, but he's not destroyed. Have you ever felt like Paul? Have you ever gone through those emotions? Have you ever had those things running through your mind? Have you ever experienced this? Distressed? Hopeless? Not knowing how to act or what to say? Persecuted? Persecuted? misunderstood, misinterpreted. Paul says, that's everything I'm going through right here. But he's not down. He's not down and out. He's not defeated. I think the beauty of this is Paul acknowledges these feelings are real. He's not imagining this. He's not making it up. He's actually going through this. But his feelings, catch this, his feelings are not enough to cause him to quit. His feelings are not enough to cause him to abandon his calling. Why not? Because Paul knows that his calling is not about him. His calling is about Christ in him. That's what he's been talking about, hasn't it, for the first three chapters? It's about who he represents. As a matter of fact, if you follow Paul's line of reasoning here, Paul's weaknesses are what uniquely qualify him to be a minister of the gospel. Well, with someone so totally incapable of doing anything, as Paul claims he is, well, if anything at all happens, only God can get the glory. That's what Paul's trying to bring to the surface here. When life starts changing, Paul is weak. Paul is unable to change anyone's life. And you know what? So are we. We share Paul's weaknesses. We all have the same weaknesses. And that's exactly what qualifies us to share the gospel. The reality of our weaknesses gives glory to God when lives start changing. Because only God can change lives. Now, nobody's ever going to point to us and go, go talk to that guy, he'll change your life. If, if that's what's happening in your ministry, in your position, then you've got the emphasis on the wrong person. If that's what happens with my ministry, then the emphasis is on me. It's not on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to bring up to the surface here. Change happens because of God, not because of us. So that's our first view of our weaknesses. Our our weaknesses are real, and they're real because we want to point towards Jesus Christ, not our own strength, towards the strength of God. So uh, the second view of our weaknesses can be seen in verses 10 through 13. And we see Paul's reaction to his weaknesses, And by virtue of us having a common faith, uh, this should be our reaction as well. How do we react to weaknesses? Paul tells us in verse 10 that despite his infirmities, despite his lack of capability, he's a walking billboard for this treasure. And his reaction to that is one of always portraying the death of Christ. Now, again, Paul gets a little murky here, and so we, we need to bring some clarity to this. What that means is that Paul is constantly dying. And I I think, you know, Paul is just such a wordsmith. Uh, I I think this dying can have two different meanings, and I think Paul means both of them. I think Paul wants us to think about the two ways that all of us are dying. So it's very intentional that there are two meanings here. For one thing, Paul is literally dying. I, I mean, he's getting older. He recognizes that he's a mortal being. His body is beginning to waste away. But you know what? His body may be wasting away, but his message is eternal. And what he portrays with his dying body is an everlasting truth. Because what's flowing out of Paul is eternity. Paul has his eyes set on heaven And he knows because he has his eyes set on on heaven, because he is assured of his salvation, that no earthly trial, no earthly tribulation can take heaven away from him. He's willing to endure some temporary suffering for the glory that is set before him. He'll say that later in his letter to Romans. Secondly, Paul is constantly dying to himself. So we have this first dying that he's physically wasting away. He's getting older. He realizes he's not going to be here forever. But we have a second type of dying, and he's dying to himself. He's dying literally while he's on his way to heaven, and all the while, he's dying to himself. And what that means is he's dying to his own desires, He's dying to his hopes and his dreams. Whatever he planned for his life, he wants to submit that to his Father in Heaven and and embrace what his Father in Heaven has, not his own hopes and dreams. Paul is, on a daily basis, turning away from his old flesh and turning towards Christ. Turning away from who he used to be and turning toward who the Holy Spirit is molding him into. He's casting off the old man and embracing the new man. So Paul dies in both ways. Why? So that he can exhibit Christ in everything he does. He wants people to look at him and see Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't want to be on display. He wants to put Christ on display. Paul not only wants to preach the gospel, he wants to be a living, breathing example of the gospel to those people around him. He wants to speak the gospel, and he wants to live the gospel as well. In verse 11, Paul explains why God would call one of his children to this ministry of death and suffering. That's another thing you want to put out on the marquee. Come on inside, we're all dying and suffering join us this Sunday at 8 30 and 11. Why would God do this? Well, you know, we have to think about it. Isn't that what Paul's been talking about for the first three and a half chapters here? I mean, he's been going over and over again. Uh, he, he has suffered and he's being called to die. Die to himself to, to litter, and to literally die. Uh, well, Here, in verse 11, it says this, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul says that he and all those who believe in Christ are called to die to themselves. They're called to devote their lives so that the life of Jesus will shine through us. And what he's trying to tell us is that our transformation should put Jesus on display so that the fact that we are becoming new creatures with new hearts will be plainly evident. We should be showing people the transformation we're going through. The transformation should be the evidence of Christ in us. And we should be showing it to everyone we meet. Now, this means that we have to consciously participate in dying to ourselves. Now, I, I'd rather that were somehow different. I'd rather not have to participate. I would rather that God would just wave some cosmic magic wand over me and make me die to myself and make me like Jesus Christ. Okay, But that's not the way this happens. We have to consciously participate in surrendering our old desires and our old hearts to Christ. Why do we have to do that? Because they keep popping up folks don't they? I mean we're being changed. Amen. The Holy Spirit's working in us. Amen. But sometimes we look back at that old man God kind of like that. I'd like to do that again. Maybe if nobody's looking I just will. Maybe God's looking the other way today. Okay. Those temptations are there. You know, if you've ever suffered with any type of addiction, you know that that, that that tendency is with you for the rest of your life. You may be regenerated, you may be reborn, but the addiction is there. And the addiction is there to remind us that we need Jesus Christ. We never get to the point to where we're not totally dependent upon Him. If we depend on ourselves, we're going to go down the wrong path. So God allows those desires to rise up in our hearts and in our lives so that we can surrender ourselves to Him and admit that we just can't do this on our own. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to die to our old selves and embrace our new selves. We have to consciously participate in this. And we have to, as Paul says in the Ephesians, we have to imitate Christ. We have to imitate Christ in everything that we do and in how we live. And when we imitate Christ in how we live, we imitate his death by forsaking our old selves and embracing the change. And we imitate his resurrection by living as new men and women with new lives and new hearts. In verse 12, Paul tells the Corinthians that he's willing to do this. He's willing to to participate in that change willing to make those sacrifices so that the life of Christ can be put on display in the lives of the Corinthians in the Corinthian church in other words Paul's willing to die to self so that they can see how this is done so that they can then do it themselves and pass that on to the people that they're surrounded by Paul's reaction to to the reality Of his own weaknesses is to imitate Christ in all he does it is to die to himself so that he can serve others and show them Christ so that they can in turn show Christ to others I got to tell you Paul's message can be a challenge to a lot of folks it can be a challenge to the way a lot of people view their Christianity it can be a challenge to the way a lot of people see the gospel let me give you an example. A few years back, we had a young man started coming to church on Sunday mornings, sat right there in the front row. He was fully engaged, three, maybe four weeks or so. He's taking notes. He's looking up. Uh, he, he would get a confused look on his face when I wasn't making sense, and when I was making sense, he would kind of nod. Uh, it was a good barometer for me. I go, maybe I need to go over that again. The, uh, so, he, he was just fully engaged, and uh, he He seemed uh, inquisitive. Every Sunday, he'd stop at the door. He'd ask me a couple questions. They were pertinent questions. And one morning, I asked him if he and I could chat in the office. When somebody shows up that frequently, we we, we all, you know, as leaders, as elders, and and the the pastoral staff, and some of the deacons, we we, we try to find out where they're from and what they're doing and and engage with them a little bit. So I, I asked him if we could chat in my office. And after a few minutes of sitting over in the office and getting acquainted, um, I asked him if he had any questions about what he had seen or what he had heard. He said, I do. I do. I said, great. What are they? He said, I want to know more about Jesus Christ. I want to know more about this gospel that you're talking about. I, would, I, I get excited when that happens. You know, I said, you want to know more about being born again? He goes, yeah, yeah. I want to know more about being born again. So I shared the gospel with him. Uh, I, I, I want to keep it relatively simple, but when we were done, he was nodding, he was smiling. I said, would you like to pray to receive Jesus Christ? He said, oh yeah, I'd like to do that. So we prayed together, and and uh, when we were done, he asked what I think is the golden question. He said, well, what's next? So I'm like, okay, well, let's lay a little bit of a path there." I told him that we, we could start reading the Bible together. I was going to have him start reading John, and then we'd talk again the next week, and Uh, I I told him that the prayer that he just said is the beginning of a change. It's the beginning of a transformation. It's the beginning of a lifelong walk with Jesus Christ. And that the more he learned about Jesus and the more he read his Bible, the easier that walk would be. And that someday he would have the opportunity to share the gospel with, with someone else, the same gospel that I just shared with him. I told him that this was the beginning of learning how to live for christ and at that point he got a furrow on his brow I went "Uh oh and he looked at me he said you know what that's too much work for me i'm not in i'm not interested in getting that involved i i didn't realize i had to do all this stuff and i'm like no no you don't have to do it But I'll guarantee you, if if we start out together, that at some point you'll want to do this. Because your heart's going to undergo a change. Uh, you're, You're going to have a desire to get closer to God. You're going to have a desire to read the Word. You're going to have a desire to share the Gospel. And he went, that's not what I signed up for. And he got up and he walked out of my office. And I never saw him again. I don't know his name. I pray for him every now and then, but he didn't sign up for living like Christ. He didn't sign up for some participation is required. What did you sign up for? What was your understanding of the gospel? Paul is clear as to what it takes. He's clear as to what it takes to be a bearer of this incredible treasure. We have to to die like Jesus did. Then live like Him and live for Him. We're called to put Him on display in our lives. Everywhere we go, with everyone we talk to. And not just other people like us. But with everywhere we go and everyone we talk to, we're called to live and love like Him at home. We're called to do it at work. We're called to do it at school. We're called to do it with our friends, with our neighbors. We're called to do it online. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, we're called to be like Christ online. That's a tough one these days, isn't it? We're called to do it with people that don't look like us we're called to do it with people that don't act like us and you know what we're called to do it with people that don't necessarily believe everything that we believe we're called to die to all that, and live for Christ. We're called to be weak so that God can be strong. And in return, in return, we have this unbelievable blessing. In return, we have a reward. Now, a reward is kind of a bad word in some circles, but God promises us a blessing. He promises us a reward for living like Christ. And, and, And that shows up in our third view on the realities of our weaknesses there in verses 13 through 18 Paul not only describes our reward but he lays out the theology of his teaching on this weakness so I want you to open your Bibles and take a look at this we're going to go through it quickly but I want you to follow me through through this here okay in verse 13 he, of 2nd of Corinthians 4 he said we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written he said look we, we all have the Holy Spirit in us We all have the same faith. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we share the same faith. According to what has been written, I believe so I spoke. So if we believe, we should be exhibiting it somehow. It should be on display somehow. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He said, look, we're all going to the same place. We're all going to be with Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Him, we should be speaking out the gospel because we know where we're going and some of the people that we're talking to don't. And we want them to have the same assurance. We want them to have the same gospel. We want them to have the same faith so we can all go to the same place and be in the presence of the Father in heaven forever. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence for it is all for your sake so that his grace extends to more and more people and may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We speak this gospel so that everybody will know where heaven is and everybody will know the only path to heaven so that more people will hear it, so that more people will come to the Lord, so that more people will be thankful, so that God will receive more glory. And in response to that, Paul says, so don't lose heart. He says, don't give up. Don't judge you, what you're doing by what's going on around you—that's what, that's what I'm trying to avoid. Don't 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 measure your success by the size of your ministry or the number of people that are saved or or the number of good things that you've done or the little tick marks that you have on the church calendar. You measure this by by your heart. You measure this by by the dedication that you have to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't quit. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day there's a promise that I can appropriate my body's dying we're all getting older our outer self is wasting away but inside inside if we have the Holy Spirit we're being renewed day by day what better news could be could we get physically some of us are a wreck inside we're growing we're getting stronger we're being drawn closer to the Lord It's a promise that's good for us if we believe in Him as as Christ, as we believe in Him as our Savior. For this light momentary affliction, in verse 17, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And there's the reward. The eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters, we're not just called to be purveyors of the gospel, we're called to glory. We're called to an eternal weight of glory. This is a tangible glory that will rest on us when we stand in front of the Father. What an incredible reward. And and listen, it's eternal. It doesn't fade. It doesn't go away. It doesn't come and go. It's not stronger at one time and weaker at another. It's the eternal weight of glory. Basking in the glory of God forever. That's our reward. As we look not to the things... I mean, Paul just brings clarity. As we look not to the things in verse 18 that are seen, but to the things that are unseen... For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What a beautiful coda to a really tough teaching. I mean, these verses here describe this amazing blessing awaiting all those who believe. So those are our three views regarding our weakness. We saw the reality of our weakness. We're frail. We're all jars of clay. We saw the reaction, the appropriate reaction to our weakness. We should live like Christ. We should live for Christ. We saw the reward for pursuing Christ, for doing all we can to live like Christ and for Christ and the reward, the reward is eternity eternity basking in the glory of God. All these come from Paul's personal experience. All these are inspired by the Holy Spirit to to be part of Scripture. Every one of these, if you call upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, every one of these apply to you and me here today. And all of them are designed we need to keep this in mind. All of them are designed to give glory to the Father. Now, if you understand what just happened here, do you see how our weakness brings Him glory? He receives glory because nothing happens unless He moves. God receives glory because we are unable to do this on our own. Our failings, brothers and sisters, our failings and our weaknesses are the very things that God uses to bring glory to himself. Our weaknesses show his strength. We are weak, but he's strong. Scriptural principle, without God's involvement, nothing happens, nothing eternal happens. And so we need to understand that, you know, we, we, we need to be true to our hearts here. Without God's involvement, nothing eternal happens. All of our serving, without God's involvement, all of our serving, all of our witnessing, all of our giving, uh, uh, everything we do would be not for him but but for us so that we could garner some glory, so that we could get some credit for what we did. You You see, what we signed up for, loved ones, what we signed up for was a life sold out to him. And a reward that comes not here on earth, but eternity. Because this this is all temporary. This is all temporal. A, a, A reward that comes in heaven. What we signed up for is literally to put our weaknesses on display so that God can put His power on display in us. So when people see what flow through us, they go, what a great God He must have. So that we could show the world that, that they can be changed the same way that we're changed. You see, if, if, if we display our weaknesses and display the change that's going on in us, then, then the world can see that there's hope for them to be changed as well. That they can lay hold of this power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So if Paul was changed... We can be changed. If we can be changed, then the people around us can be changed. The people that we share the gospel with can be changed. God's strength is displayed in our weakness.